Well, good morning, everyone. Well, thank you, Evan, for those kind words. Yes, my name is Joe Managas. Uh, many of you know me as Divine and David's father. Some of you know me as Gloria's husband. Some of you know me as Papa Joe. <laughs> so it's a, really a delight to be here. I'm really honored, and thank you for having me. Now, it's interesting. Tomorrow is the 246th Independence Day in America, and praise God for America. But the Christian in America now finds himself in some very challenging times in what appears to be uh, somewhat of an anti-Christian period in American history. And for many in the body of Christ, their faith has been tested. Their faith has been challenged. How strong is your faith? And we will find out later on. But what is faith? The faith, as, it, as we see in the language of Hebrews 11.1, 1, is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things unseen. And if you are in Jesus Christ today, we must make the distinction that you have a saving faith. You see, everyone has faith. But you have a saving faith, a salvific faith, a biblical faith, as per Ephesians. By grace you have been saved through faith. It is a gift of God, not of yourselves, lest anyone boast. And to have this kind of faith, it comes accompanied with a trust. Now, there is a conviction. There is a conviction to believe certain things that are God's plan, certain promises from his word. But this faith must be accompanied by trust, and it's a faith that inevitably must lead to action, a faith that is to be exercised. Now, we can know about faith in Hebrews, the great chapter of Hebrews 11. We can know principles of faith, but sometimes the principles in the practice doesn't mesh sometimes. Because we must exercise the faith, there will be situations that we see, that we will see, that we have seen. As a Christian, you will encounter situations on this side of eternity that you may have questions, that you may find perplexing. There's situations that you don't understand, and quite frankly, you may not even agree with them. There are times in these situations when God appears to seem silent particularly when it comes to the prevalence of evil. As we see an increase in, throughout the world and certainly in our nation. And when the Lord remains silent, as we read this morning in our opening text from chapter 1, verse 13, when the wicked swallows up the man more righteous than he. Christian, I know you are a strong congregation, and praise God, I have a lot of respect and admiration for this church and for your leadership. But how strong is your faith? Have you found yourself questioning God in, say, the past two years, three years, maybe more so than times past? Have you found yourself like the prophets saying, Why, O Lord? How long, O Lord, will this continue? Speaking of the iniquity and the circumstances that surround the situation. Maybe this describes you or it does not describe you. But this does describe the prophet Habakkuk. Now I think we all can relate to this prophet. Who is this man? He's a contemporary of Zephaniah, Jeremiah, maybe even Ezekiel and Daniel. 
And he's prophesying in Judah no later than the end of 640 or 609 B.C. And he's prophesying under a good king, Josiah's reign. And in this letter, we see the prophet's journey in faith. We are all on a journey in faith. And he saw a situation that was happening that perplexed him. And it caused him to question God in the nation of Judah. I think it's important that we go over the background. As we look at the situation in Judah, the covenant nation of God has found prosperity. It found moral morality under this good king Josiah. But now, under Jehoiakim, a wicked king, who happens to be the son of Josiah, oddly enough, it's plagued by corruption. It's plagued by iniquity and violence. And justice has essentially disappeared from this nation. This deeply disturbed the prophet. And because the prophet understands two things. He understands God's covenant stipulations for the covenant nation. In obedience, they will be blessed. And in disobedience, they will be cursed. And what he's calling out to God is for that God would chasten them so they would turn. This was his request. And in addition, as we read, he understands the holy character of God. And this led him to question God. And this challenged his personal faith. As we look at the last three verses of the book, you can stay in chapter 1 as we opened up with, but eventually we'll turn to chapter 3, verses 17 to 19. It's important we examine the beginning of his journey because the road to this faith that inevitably rejoices was very, very bumpy in the beginning. In chapters 1 and 2, he questions God. We see a a Q&A between Yahweh and this prophet. The prophet cries out for God's divine intervention, and he's bewildered as to what is happening around him. And we see as he cries out in chapter 1, I cry out for help, God, and you do not hear. I cry out violence, and you do not save. You make me see iniquity and cause me to look on wickedness. We see a frustration. We see a confusion. And maybe that is kind of where we've been to some extent in the past couple of years. How long will you permit this iniquity? And after a period of silence in verse 5, Yahweh will answer him. The prophet is given an answer that he's not expecting. He's given an answer that he doesn't really like. And here's the answer. Verse 5. Look among the nations and see and wonder. Be astounded. For I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe even if I told you. I am raising up the Chaldeans, a wicked people, to exercise my judgment on Judah. He's sending the Chaldeans, also known as the Babylonians. Who are these people? They are a bitter and hasty people. They are a wicked people. They are idolatrous, extremely violent. They take captives. They scoff. They laugh at authority. How could this be? You see the prophets now, after asking the question, getting the answer, you see a great dilemma here. Because Judah's not as bad as the Chaldeans. It'd kind of be like America being taken captive by Al-Qaeda or a terrorist organization. He doesn't understand why this is going to be the Lord's course of action. 
Now, it's not just that the Lord is permitting this. And in fact, some theologians would believe the Lord has a permissive will. But this is not that. This is God. I am raising them up. And this, you can relate to his dilemma, I would think. Lord, judge Judah as he cried out, but not like this. So he's going to use the wicked Chaldeans to judge a people more righteous. Now he will call out in this Q&A, if you will, another time. And the prophet now comes to a place of acceptance. And a second series of questions in chapter 1, verses 12 to 17, he will ask. And he gets another answer. The second answer comes. And there's a couple of things that we must take from the second answer. Write down, this is God telling the prophet what I am revealing to you. Write down the vision. Wait patiently for it. Be patient. It will come to pass in my time. You see, you may not understand this. And there's many things on this side of eternity that we will not understand because we must understand we are finite and God is infinite. And as Isaiah 55, 8 and 9 says, his ways are higher than our ways and his thoughts are not our thoughts. And you might not agree with a lot of things. But one of the principles that we read this morning that we must take is in these times, the righteous must walk by faith. We've heard the saying before, walk by faith, not by sight. That is not a slogan. That ought to be a way of life for those in Christ. The righteous must walk by their faithfulness. Chapter 2, verse 4. What is this? A steadfast reliance on God and his promises. And as we continue with this background, throughout the book, we take a little journey through Habakkuk. Chapter 2, verses 6 to 20. God is going to pronounce judgment on the Chaldeans. He's lifting them up. He's raising them for his purpose. I believe Evan prayed along those lines this morning. He's taking a wicked people, raising them up to use them for his purpose. But they will be judged. See, the prosperity of the wicked in this world will cease. And the meek shall inherit the earth. And there's many in the world who believe because they do not acknowledge the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They do not acknowledge the Lord Jesus Christ as their Lord. That they are somehow immune from God. God is God. God is the creator of the heavens and the earth. And God is the God of humanity. And it's important for us to understand the Lord made everything for his purpose, even the wicked, for the day of trouble. Proverbs 16, 4. Which brings us now to chapter 3. And chapter 3, we begin, it, it, it's kind of like a psalm. And chapter 3, the prophet will pray a prayer. He will acknowledge the Lord, and he will make a request in wrath, remember mercy. And in two to five, he will receive two to fifteen, he will receive a revelation. And the revelation is a theophany. And this revelation given to this prophet is kind of like a highlight film. He sees Yahweh's faithfulness in times past to his covenant nation Israel. He will see the deliverance that this God, Almighty, his God, had, had done on behalf of his covenant people. He will see the righteous judgment. He will see in this prayer the covenant law. He's reminded, given at Sinai. 
He's reminded of the conquest of Canaan and the Exodus. He sees God's sovereignty over nature. He sees God's sovereignty over history and over salvation. Now, the vision had an effect on the prophet in more ways than one. If I draw your attention, if you would turn to chapter 3, if you're not already there. I would draw your attention to verse 16 before we begin. I hear my body trembles, my lips quiver at the sound. Rottenness enters my bones, my legs tremble beneath me. Yet I will quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon the people who invade us. After having this encounter with God Almighty, he is physically shaken. But as we're going to see today, he's spiritually strengthened. He now realizes that God would redeem a faithful remnant in Judah. And there's always a remnant God has in all countries of all civilizations of all time. God has a faithful remnant and he will redeem his faithful remnant. He fights for his faithful remnant. We also see that God will judge the wicked Chaldeans. And God will judge Judah. And this leads to the culmination of this journey in faith which we see in chapter 3, verses 17 to 19. The culmination of this faith is a faith that rejoices. Let's read our text. Habakkuk, chapter 3, 17 to 19. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit beyond the vines, nor the produce of the olives fail, and the fields yield no food, the flock be cut off from the fold, And there be no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God, the Lord, is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on high places. Brings us to our first point. Verse 17, the revelation given. Difficult times have come to Judah. Difficult times have come to all and will come, and difficult times have come to us here in America. Now, we see this verse. Look at some of the imagery here. As Judah will be taken captive, we see the fig tree should not blossom. We see fruit on the vines, produce on the olive fail, and the fields yield no food. We see the flock cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. We must understand that Judah is an agrarian society, and agriculture was their primary source of economic stability and how they live, basically. This is the depiction of lack. It's a depiction of famine. An economic hardship has come to this nation. This will affect the prophet. This will affect even the remnant there. And this would be a sign of God's judgment on the land. Now, the judgment comes as per Deuteronomy 28, verse 4. Blessed be the fruit of your womb and the fruit of your ground, the fruit of your cattle, and the increase of herds and the young of your flock. So in Deuteronomy 28, there is a blessing for this, for this livestock, the agriculture, when obedience is had. And Deuteronomy 28, 18, when disobedience is had, this is cut off. So we see That judgment has come to the nation. And this is a form of God's consequential judgment. 
This is a form of judgment when any nation, whether they be covenant or not, any people, whether they be covenant or not, it's a judgment of sowing and reaping. Now, difficult times, to some extent, have come to America. Certainly not to this capacity. How do we relate to this? America has come out of a very somewhat prosperous time some years ago, and there's always been the ebbs and flows in the economy. But right now, we see that iniquity is increasing. We see that there is a justice that is now perverted. Now, America is not a covenant nation like Judah or Israel, but it is a nation that experienced great blessings in the past. And as we had a conversation with my sister this morning, you can make a strong argument of the Judeo-Christian foundation in this country. Now, it's experienced great blessings, but if it continues to blaspheme God, and it's not all the nation, but many, there will be further consequences. Because we have to understand consequential wrath, sowing and reaping. But ultimately, is the sovereign God, as we see in Job 12.23. He makes nations great. This is Yahweh. And he destroys them. He enlarges nations, and he leads them away. So we have what I would argue in America now is what is called a consequential judgment. There are general principles, whether you be a covenant nation or not, whether you be a nation in Africa, Greece, Italy, China, that righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. We see that in Proverbs 14. Now, the rulers, just as in the day of Habakkuk have not made the country any more moral. And there's been a reward of wickedness, what we see. I think there's something to be said, though we are not a covenant nation, when a leader places their hand on a Bible before they take a government office. I think that says a lot. I think that speaks volumes. Now, what does the future hold for us? as we celebrate the 246th Independence Day. Well, I'm, I'm not sure. I don't know. There's a couple of scenarios that we could see here. Uh, the country will have its ups and downs, just as it's always had. It will prosper. There'll be hard times. There'll be good times. That's one scenario. A second scenario is where many uh, do believe now. I don't take this position, by the way. America continues in iniquity and it rejects Jesus Christ, it will not be granted any more mercy but judgment. It's almost like a rubber band will snap eventually. And we've seen this now. There's no question about it. But is this the final straw? I don't know. I wouldn't be surprised if it was or if it's not. Now, the third scenario would bring me the most joy and probably you as well. If you told me that America would be restored, if you told me that there would be revival and hearts would turn to the Lord as a majority turned to this God of the Bible, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, I would not be shocked either. See, I don't know. None of us know what's going to happen. But the principle we see in this passage from this prophet is this. Whether there be recession, whether there be revival, yet we can rejoice in the Lord. We should not be so affected by the external realities of our world. Now, we're human beings. Let's not kid ourselves. There's a time to mourn. There's a time to rejoice. I get it. But as you grow in your faith, you will notice that you will become stronger in the faith. 
and not be so affected by the external ups and downs of economies and nations and things like that. Because the Christian is called to have a different mindset. So then how then shall we respond? Well, well, just as the prophet, just as the prophet responds, we learn from this example. Despite difficult times, those who have a saving faith, those who are saved can rejoice. Verse 18, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. Change had come to Judah. Change had come to America. There'll always be change. But we see now a change in his heart. We see a change in the prophet. And the change didn't happen overnight. We see this prophet's journey in faith, which started out in disappointment, which started out questioning God, which started out in grief. He's no longer doubtful, no longer wrestling with the God of his salvation. But we see now the fruit of his faith. We see a trust and a trust that develops into a rejoicing. Not in the circumstances, not in what has happened to his nation, but in the God of his salvation. So we see that this fig tree has not blossomed. The prophet's faith has now blossomed. He is resolute and he will rejoice. That's important. We look at this word to rejoice, this triumphant, joyful state, a state of being glad. And a quote by J.I. Packer noted that joy is a condition that is experienced, but is more than a feeling. It's primarily a state of mind. He's not wavering because of the circumstances. Now, brethren, this is a challenging message, a challenging thing to see. Though the economy has tanked, though the the land is under judgment, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. Many of us will have to encounter trials for the strengthening of our faith. They can be trials in the external realm in this world. It can be trials of health and things of that nature. But a very quoted scripture, often quoted, but sometimes we don't exercise it, is this in James 1, 2 to 4. Do we truly count it all joy, brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds? For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. It's purposeful. Produces steadfastness and let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect, complete, lacking of nothing. A faith that rejoices, getting to this point, you need a patience. You need a steadfastness. You will have to encounter certain situations that you may disagree with. Certain situations that if you were God, you would say, Lord, why are you doing this? And it was also prayed this morning that sometimes we try to usurp God with our, with our prayers. Sometimes we think we know better than God, if we're honest. But he has mercy on us. Now, learning steadfastness, getting to this place, did not happen to this prophet overnight, and it will not happen to us overnight. It will come in God's time. And it's important that now he's grown in faith, there is a trust. Remember I told you, you can know about faith. You could have saving faith. And you could show everyone where it is in the word. But there will be times in your challenge to exercise, to practice faith. Now this prophet comes to a place of sober recognition. What is he recognizing? Why this joy? 
the great faithfulness of God that he saw in chapter 3 in this prayer. Looking back and processing, he sees the importance of what God has done in the past, that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. That I am the Lord, I shall not change. God is a covenant-keeping, faithful God. And it's important for us to come to a place of reflection. Very often, when God has done in the past, in you, not even knowing some of you, I know that God has done mighty works for you in salvation, number one, the miracle. He's done mighty works on your behalf. And it's important when you're going through these difficult times, and times that are not the best right now, maybe to our our Christianity and our worldview, that we look back. And it's wise for us to look back on our own personal journeys as well. Remember how God has delivered you. You will have to wait and you will have to trust on God. And that's part of the response. So the response is to rejoice, but the response is to also wait, have a steadfastness, trust. And it's also important that we as Christians reflect on the future. There's a relationship between faith and hope. And if you are in Jesus Christ today, you've been born again to a living hope. And there is something for you. There is an inheritance reserved for you in heaven that is kept imperishable, undefiled, it's yours, and you will receive it. Now, present difficult times will come, and it not, doesn't mean there won't be economic hardship. It doesn't mean that the judgment that has come on Judah maybe did not say it in this prophet as well. He's not superhuman. He's a human being. But yet he chose to rejoice. Now, it's possible the vision... His rejoicing came that he saw that the remnant would be redeemed. And that could certainly have brought him joy. But his response ought to be what our response is. And it's very simple to response went well when things are going well. What is the reason, the reason for this rejoicing? Very simple. We see the reason in verses 3 of chapter 3, verse 18b and 19. The reason is the God of his salvation gave strength to him. And the God of your salvation gives strength to his people to endure difficult times. You see, if you have been saved by grace, you will be sustained by God's grace as well. It doesn't begin with salvation grace. It continues in God's Grace, Regardless of the external realities, whether they be good or bad, we can rejoice in the unchanging eternal God, the God of his salvation. As we see verse 19, God the Lord is my strength, and he makes my feet like deers and makes me walk on my high places. Who is the God of your salvation? I want to give you a depiction from the prophet Isaiah. A tremendous scripture. This is the God who sustains his people. This is the God who makes his people greater than they can ever be in their natural, natural, natural strength. Now, the sustaining grace we see. Consider the God of your salvation. Isaiah 40, 29, 31. This God, if you are in Christ today, is the God of your salvation. The Lord is the everlasting God the creator of the ends of the earth. 
The God of my salvation, the God of your salvation, is more than just a life coach. He's the eternal, omnipotent, all-knowing, all-powerful, eternal God. He does not faint or grow weary, and his understanding is unsearchable. That's why that song we sang this morning was tremendous, that last song. It's so important that we understand that his understanding is unsearchable. Mine isn't. Yours isn't. We are finite. And very often the finite will question the infinite. But yet this God gives power to the faint. And to him who has no might, he increases strength. Verse 30, and this is Isaiah 40. Even youths shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. To come to this place of faith. How strong is your faith? When you know when you could wait and trust on the Lord, that's a strong faith. Now you'll find yourself in situations that you may be weary. You can be sure of one thing. This, every promise of God is yes and amen. You will be tested. You will encounter situations to test your faith, to strengthen your faith. Very, very important that we understand this. Now, what do you do in those situations when things just don't seem to make sense, quite frankly? And you may question God. That is when the righteous must walk in faith. We are to walk by faith and not by sight. Now, we know that faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. And faith... We would argue if your reform perspective is a gift from God. And there may be circumstances that will test your faith. There definitely will. But consider what Peter writes in 1 Peter verses, chapter 1, verses 6 and 7. Again, nothing happens randomly. And praise the sovereign God. He knows what he's doing. You've been grieved by various trials. In Peter's epistle, they, because of their Christianity, they were dealing with some hardship. They were dealing with social persecution. And in verse 7, so you've been grieved by various trials so that, that's a purpose clause, so that purposely the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise, glory, and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. There is purpose. There is a correlation between our faith and these encounters, these various trials of sorts, whether they be the trial that's happening in our nation, the trials, the hardships, whether they be health trials, financial, economic, in all ways. Now, we look at the reason. We reason. The rejoicing comes from a sober recognition of who God is, not necessarily the circumstances, but we know that we consider it pure joy when we encounter these circumstances because they test our faith. Now we see the verse in verse 19 that he makes my feet like deers and he makes me walk in high places. We see this depiction, this depiction connoting uh, a description of stability. The God of the universe gives his people a stability that they can never have without him. We must also understand through the instabilities of this earth, through the highs, the lows, the ups and downs of economies, civilizations, fads, all these things, the people of God in Christ, in his strength, 
remain. He remained. We have the feet like deers and makes us walk in high places. Now, this also connotes an enablement to jump like a deer and to overcome all the obstacles that you will deal with on this side of eternity. There's no question. It also connotes a victory. In Christ, you're victorious. If you walk by faith, you understand that. There are times we do not feel victorious. We may grow weary. We may be like the prophet. You know, I think of David, the psalmist, in chapter 3, very much like a psalm. Now, 4th of July is very big in Coney Island. I'm originally from Brooklyn. And one thing I've never been on is the cyclone. How many of you have been on the cyclone? Do you know what the cyclone is? You've been on it. But sometimes when I read the Psalms, I feel like I'm on the cyclone because we see the ups and downs. We may feel all these feelings, but we must understand the strength that we have in Christ and the stability as well as we walk by faith. Now, he will put us in situations, you can promise this as well, that will force you. As he said to Habakkuk, I'm doing something that you wouldn't believe. He will put you in situations that will force you to wait, trust, and exercise this steadfastness. And God will strengthen you through these difficulties purposefully for the refining of your faith, the maturing of your faith, the growing and the nurturing of your faith. You know, I think of Paul. I think of Philippians, that great epistle of joy. Where is Paul? He's in prison under house arrest. What's going on? The letter speaks about rejoicing so many times. And Paul, over time, got to this place as well. We consider chapter 4, verses 12 to 13. This is Paul. He knew how to be brought low. He knew how to abound in any and every circumstances. I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need, that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. The Lord God is your strength. The Lord God is your strength. As we see the psalm concluding that the prophet had gone now from worry in chapter 1 to chapter 3 to the end to worship. From worry to worship. And as the letter ends on a tremendous high note, he comes to a realization. And this is not simply seeing the glass half full. It's not simply the power of positive thinking. It's not looking on the bright side of things, saying, you know what? There's judgment in Judah. The damage is done. There's no sense crying over spilt milk. That's not where he is. This is much deeper. This is a sober recognition of the God of his salvation and who he is. Now, change will come. Change will come. Change came to Judah, the external circumstance. Change came to the prophet. His faith blossomed. But you know where there's no change? In the God of our salvation. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And it's important for us to understand that his ways are higher than our ways. And we may not always agree with what we see going on in this world. But God's glory, God's plans, God's purpose exceeds our comfort levels. I don't know about you, but I like to be comfortable. I like knowing what, when there was more stability in the world. Who knows? Maybe we get there, maybe we don't. But nevertheless, yet I will rejoice in the Lord by God's grace. Now, Christian, we have to ask ourselves now some implications. What is it that eats up your joy? 
Is it worry? Can very well be. Is it doubt? Is it a lack of faith? You see, all these things, worry, doubt, lack of faith, seeing what we see in the world, it's like termites. They're like termites that eat up the wood, that, eat, that, that come to damage something. It's like our faith. It's like something, like a disease that comes and eats up our faith. But I understand that this is challenging. Say, you may say to yourself, okay, I see this prophet, but I'm not there. How do I get to this place of faith that rejoices in the midst of difficulties? Remember God's goodness. Remember God's goodness on your life in times past. Remember he is the God of your salvation. You must simply come to a place of acceptance when you're comfortable, strong in the Lord, where you do walk by faith and not by sight. Yet he did not understand what was happening early on. But a faith that rejoices learns. It's matured over time. Now, it's very important that a trust that perseveres when difficulties come. We can rejoice in God. And the default position always, even when we don't know, is Romans 8.28. And the NASB says, God causes all things to work together for good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. Sometimes that doesn't work too well when you're in the midst of, of, of a tragedy. Sometimes that really doesn't, you don't get the full effect when you're really struggling. But nevertheless, that's something to be apprehended by faith. Habakkuk is an example for us to learn faith and is also another example. There's also certainly Abraham. I want to read something to you from Hebrews, the great chapter in faith. Recommend reading it. Chapter 11, verses 8 to 10. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went out to live in the land of promise. As in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, here's with him of the same promises. And these are your promises, by the way. He was looking forward to a city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. And I was challenged putting this together. How strong is my faith? How strong do external circumstances depict and dictate how I feel? Monetary blessings, health blessings, again, comfort. There's one thing I do know based upon this passage that regardless, and in this world, you will have turmoil. Jesus said you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. This world is not our home if you are in Christ, and it ends well for you. 1 John 5, 4 and 5, for everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. If you are in Christ today, this world is not your home and this world does not have dominion over you. And this is the victory that has overcome the world. What is it? Our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes in Jesus, the Son of God? Now, there are many questions that we have right now. I have them. I guess you have them too. We know that judgment comes. 
Nations are brought up. Nations are torn down. People are judged. No one escapes God's judgment. And let's pray for our country. In wrath, remember mercy. And we can stand fast on this passage with this intention. And it's a challenge, and it's not easy. But whatever happens, the external realities of our world, of our land, good, bad, new leadership, bad leadership, we can rejoice in the God of our salvation. I'm all about, I'm not about taking our hands away from the worldly affairs. No, we are to be salt. We are to be light. We are to be lights in the midst of a wicked and perverse generation. There's no question about that. Whatever we can change for the glory of God, for the kingdom of God, may we do it. But just as Abraham, we long for a city whose builder is God. Now, I'm a big fan of America. Great, great country. But this world is not a home. And if my hope... And if my faith is based upon if we get high or get low, then we miss the whole point. We are already, if you're in Christ, a holy nation, a royal priesthood, God's own special people. Now, Judah broke the covenant stipulations and they received judgment. Israel broke the covenant stipulations. I have broke the covenant stipulations and so have you. You failed in keeping God's law, but there's someone who did not. Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. He was the God of our salvation. If you have this saving faith, you've received Jesus Christ. What are you saved from? The worst is over for you. You're saved from what? The wrath of God. You see, you're not saved to have a better life. And many of us have had a better life in God's grace. He bestowed on us such amazing blessings. But you're saved from the wrath of God. Saved from the penalty of sin. Do you have this salvation? Are you saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, for the glory of God alone? Are you saved? Maybe you came with a friend or family member and you have a form of religion. And you don't know this God. The gospel is the good news. And this is a gospel church, praise God. The good news. And there's only good news in light of the bad news. So what's the good news? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son in the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world may be saved through him. And whoever believes in him is not condemned. That's the good news. That is, that is amazing news. That's the best news a human being can hear. Despite the highs and lows, despite prosperity or not. But what's the bad news? Well, I'm reading from John 3, 16. And I just read to you from 16 to 18. But now as we go forth, we see. Whoever does not believe is condemned already because he's not believing the name of the Son of God. You see, there's already a condemnation if you are not in Christ, if you do not have this saving faith. The verdict is in. And many will say, I've heard this before and I'll cross that bridge when I get there. No, you've got to cross that bridge sooner than later. Cross that bridge today if that's you. 
In closing, some concluding thoughts. How strong is your faith? If you are a Christian like the prophet, you are on a journey of faith. You've been on this journey. You will continue in journey. And this is a work in progress, just as your salvation is. And you are learning. You are learning. And getting to this place of a faith that rejoices in the midst of external circumstances comes over time. It does not happen overnight. Now, some, some of you here may have different dispositions. You may look at things positively. But the saving faith is a God-wrought faith. And we got to ask God for this faith. As human beings, as Christians, we won't always feel this way. And there is, as Ecclesiastes 3 tells us, a time to rejoice and there is a time to mourn. And we see that in the Psalms as well. But a scripture like this challenges me and it's a challenge to all of us because the faith will be tested as we have seen. Today's lessons is is not easy. But may God work in us. May God work in us and leave us today with this desire that regardless of what happens tomorrow, in 10 years, in 50 years, maybe 500 years if the Lord does not tarry, if you are in Christ today, may you rejoice in the God of your salvation. Let's pray for this faith. Father God, we give thanks to you, Lord. You have given us every spiritual blessing in Jesus Christ. And we now sit in the heavenly realms with Christ, as Paul tells us in Ephesians 2. But Father, we are on this journey, Lord. It began by grace. It continues by grace, Lord. And by your grace, may our faith increase. May you make us stronger, Lord, to endure hardship. And Father, may you bestow blessings on this nation. May you turn this nation, Lord, for your glory, for your purposes, Lord. May we pray in wrath. May there be mercy. But for those people, Lord, here, for your people, for this church, for my church, Lord, may we grow in faith. And in all situations, yet, may we rejoice in the Lord of our salvation. Amen. Thank you.